Turn with me in your copies of the Scripture to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading today at verse 30, down through the fifth chapter, verse 2. Verses 1 and 2 of the fifth chapter is our text today. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. Hear once again the very Word of God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that your scriptures confront us with uh, the need for us to turn away from sins that so easily beset us and to turn to you by faith in righteousness, imitating your very person. And as we look at this passage, Lord, goad us to love and good works, goad us to faithfulness, to be imitators of God, that we might be light to the world that we might be friends to the friendless, that we might be faithful to our, our spouses and our families, and that we might show forth the love of Christ in all things. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Well, brethren, today I've chosen to divert from our study through Second Samuel in the life of David and to consider Paul's teaching from Ephesians 5, the first two chapters, where he urges us to be imitators of God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to focus our attention on those first two verses of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma." Over the past two weeks, we've seen in the life of King David that grievous sin is born in one's heart and is very near at hand, easily touched and grasped. Here in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul teaches us that that there is an antidote against such sinful temptation and that, that it leads to a life that is pleasing to God. And so today's outline is threefold. First... The call to be childlike imitators. The call to be childlike imitators. Second, Jesus Christ is the perfect model to imitate. And then third, in so doing, we please God as we imitate Christ. So let's begin with the call to be childlike imitators. The Apostle Paul, while goading the Ephesians to walk in unity, has just exhorted the Ephesians in chapter 4 with these words 
uh, beginning in verse 30, that I, uh, where we began our reading today. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God was a problem in the Ephesian church. And Paul is asking them to no longer do that. Verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Brother, notice with me that our text is the conclusion following this exhortation I've just read. Because it begins with the word, therefore. So we must see why it's the conclusion. And that's why I'm bringing to your attention these few verses at the end of chapter 4. The verses begin, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed our redemption. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with malice. The contrast then is, rather, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Those things that are grievous to the Holy Spirit were evidently present in the Ephesian church. But Paul prods the Ephesians to look back to the time of their conversion when God changed their hearts, making them kind and tenderhearted, bathing them in forgiveness as our Lord had forgiven them by virtue of His work on the cross. Brethren, this is a call to change your demeanor. Your demeanor as Christians should be filled with kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And Paul likens that to a a child in verse 1 of chapter 5. He likens that to a dear child. And with this description of the mentality we are to exhibit in imitating God, Paul is reinforcing the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 18, verses 2-4, through where we read, Then Jesus called a little child to Him, set Him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As men and women mature in the Christian faith, we are not to move away from the attributes of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness as often adults do as they grow older. But on the contrary, Paul is calling us to become more like children. We are to exhibit those attributes, tenderheartedness, kindness, and forgiveness in greater measure. Here the mature believer is admonished to become again what he once was, a child, a tender-hearted child, one who is kind and forgiving. Paul is calling us to be imitators of God, the one who personifies these very attributes in their absolute fullness. Think about that. God is full of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. We seldom think of God as being childlike. In fact, that's a notion that first struck me as I was working on this sermon. Is God childlike? According to this passage, yes. And we're to imitate that. God is childlike in these attributes. 
And this brings us to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is one thing to exhort the church to become childlike in these attributes of God, and it is a very different thing to understand this in the context of adulthood. How do you become like a child when you're an adult? How does that work? Seems to be incongruous, doesn't it? We can observe children being tender-hearted toward a grieving parent or a sibling who is sick. We probably all have seen that. When, when one, of your sibling, one of their siblings becomes sick, all of a sudden they want to come to their aid and, and show the tenderness of, of being a helper and to, to bring them to, to wellness. Or when a parent is grieving over something, and it might be a, a lost job, it could be a death in the family, any number of things, and the child crawls up on the lap of the parent and hugs them encourages them, maybe saying things will be okay. Not knowing exactly what's grieving the parent, but it's a very tender-hearted activity. We've seen these things in children. But in the complexity of relationships that we adults live, in, in which we live, and the emotions that we have as adults, how do we exhibit these same attributes of the children to one another? How is that possible? Well, verse 2 gives us a very needful instruction. Hear Paul's words in verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Brethren, Paul reminds us that our Lord exhibited the attributes of kindness, tender-heartedness, and forgiveness by making Himself an offering and a sacrifice for us. In the Old Covenant, offerings and sacrifices were slightly different gifts that were to be given to God in obedience to Him. The offering was considered a gift of peace given to God, while the sacrifice was a bit different. In the Old Testament, we often see the word offering immediately preceded by the word peace. And that is the case in Leviticus chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, where we see the the law of the peace offering. This is how it is described in Leviticus 7. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day, the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. 
And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it. And the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. Brethren, here we see the peace offering. And though it includes the sacrifice of flesh, it is an offering often of thanksgiving with cakes and wafers. Both concepts, peace and thanksgiving, attend this kind of offering. Again, the Apostle Paul mentions both offering and a sacrifice in verse 2 as different things. As for the sacrifice that Paul mentions, it is likely that, that, that he is referring to the atoning sacrifice in the Old Covenant. And the atoning sacrifice is also known as a trespass offering or a sin offering from Leviticus chapter 6.24 through 7.10. I'll not take the time to read those. But from this trespass offering, the blood of the slain animal was sprinkled both on the person whose sins were to be remitted as well as the mercy seat of God, who is the one who forgives the sins of the world. So we have these two kinds of offerings. They are often done at the same time in the Old Covenant. But one is a peace offering, along with thanksgiving, and the other was an atoning offering, the one that bore the sins of the person who's making the sacrifice that those sins might be forgiven. Brethren, these two concepts are vividly displayed for us at the Lord's table. The Prince of Peace has offered His body a a sacrifice for men. And His body is the peace offering represented in the bread. In the cup, we have both the thanksgiving offering and the sacrifice of atonement being represented. So these two notions, the peace offering and the sacrifice offering for the remission of sins are mingled together in Christ. And they represent our sins being forgiven. Both the offering and the sacrifice are brought together in the New Covenant sacramental meal. This is intentional. This is intentional. God is showing the fullness of the Old Covenant in His Son, Jesus. I bring this to your attention, brethren, because we're adults, most of us. I'm speaking mostly to the adults today. And we as mature adults must manifest childlike kindness, tender mercies, and tenderheartedness, along with forgivenesses, forgiveness that we might emulate what Christ has done for us to be imitators of Him. And this is done through offerings and sacrifices of ourselves. And this brings me to my last point. And that is pleasing God as we imitate Him, as is mentioned here in the passage. The end of verse 2 is the consequence of living lives of childlike kindness, tender mercies, and forgiveness as an offering and a sacrifice to God. It results in something, a consequence, And Paul describes it here. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given us Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, 
is it possible that a sacrifice can be a sweet-smelling aroma? There was a turkey that gave its life around Thanksgiving time, was frozen, made its way into my freezer, and this past week made its way into my smoker. We'll have an opportunity to eat that today. And it was a sweet-smelling aroma on the way to church this morning. I must tell you, that was a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, we have just recently enjoyed, once again, the Christmas season. I want to tell you another example of a sweet-smelling aroma. And that season of the year, Christmas season, often has some of the most enjoyable aromas of the year, doesn't it? Things around Christmas time. With the possible exception of Thanksgiving, I would say that Christmas has the most enjoyable aromas of the year, that season. And this past Christmas season, I happened upon a candle at Kroger's that I purchased that was scented with the aroma of pine. Now, we traditionally have live trees for our Christmas celebration, and and this year was no different. And the scent of pine is usually a typical aroma in our home. With the addition of that candle and its light when lit, but more importantly its scent, the room was filled with a sweet-smelling aroma that was very warm and inviting. And the entire family enjoyed that candle so much that when we were in the room, whether it was night or day, we lit that candle for the aroma. And it was joyful. I mean, it was enjoyable. It was something I'll not soon forget. Brethren, throughout the Scriptures, there are various examples of a sweet-smelling aroma that God speaks about. This evening in our worship, I'm going to to look at a passage in Revelation that talks about our prayers being a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Some of those aromas in the Scripture are very pleasing to God. Others are not. But here we see that offering and sacrifice are those things that are sweet-smelling aromas to our God and our Savior. And we who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, have been bathed in the aroma of offering and sacrifice that's been imputed to us by Him. The question is, will that aroma remain? in us? Will we be given to those vices described at the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians? Or will we be tender-hearted? Will we be kind and generous and forgiving to others? That that sweet-smelling aroma that Christ bathed us in when He sacrificed continues on and on in us. So I pose these important questions to you. How do we know how to walk in that sweet-smelling aroma? How do we know to do that? If you were careful in reading the passage that I chose today to preach from, you'll notice that I skipped over something very important in the passage. So let me draw your attention to that quickly. Verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, 
an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Is it going to be our constitution that we will be a sweet-smelling aroma to our God? I would hope all of us would aspire to that kind of constitution. I want to be a sweet-smelling aroma to my God. And he, Paul tells us to do that, we are to walk in love. So I pose these important questions. Do you know what love is? Do you know how to walk in love? If that is to be your constitution to imitate God, as Paul admonishes us to do here in the person of Jesus Christ, how do I walk in love with a tender heart, filled with kindness and forgiveness toward others? And the answers to these questions are found in Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There we read these words. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Brethren, the church of Ephesus was plagued with bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with malice as we read at the end of chapter 4. Those things were grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul Paul called them to walk in love sacrificially so as to imitate Christ and not grieve the Holy Spirit. So my call to you today is to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which Paul writes in Romans, is your reasonable service. And to walk in the sacrificial love of our Lord Jesus Christ toward one another, that we may be a sweet-smelling aroma unto the living God. Let us pray together.